This is the RJ Metrics Buddy Time Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Moore. Every episode of this podcast features another RJ Metrics team member sharing things you might not find out about them hanging around the water cooler. I want to extend a big thanks to Alex Klieger. His Softball Diaries podcast is awesome and is the inspiration for this one. And with all that said, let's meet this episode's buddy. Dan Levine. Hey. Welcome. Welcome to Buddy Time Podcast. It's really good to be here. Um, I totally just gave away the answer to my typical first question, uh, which is, what's your name, what's your title, and how long have you been at RJ Metrics? Uh, my name is Daniel Levine. I'm a content marketer. Uh, I've been at RJ Metrics since June, so pretty much like nine months. Nine months? Yeah. Going strong. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's your typical day like here? Um, my typical day is, uh, it's changing a lot. Um, just based on like kind of what we're trying to do at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, uh, I work on like webinars a lot, like content development. Um, So we're doing a webinar with Shopify and it's just like putting that deck together and making sure it's like a cohesive story and it's going to kind of be beneficial to both both parties and tell the right, um, give the right message, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the stuff that I was doing um, before this was like a lot of PR stuff, like getting placements and getting backlinks, um, just like getting our name out there. Um, before this meeting, I was trying to get uh, Sir Gifts a lot into Mashable. So Yeah, <laughs> Sir G- yeah. tell me a little bit about Sir Gifts a lot. Um, I don't know. Well, I've, the only thing that, the only part of it that I've touched is I've, I had to write the limerick for it, the uh, opening screen. So it was like, there once lived a man who loved gifts or something like that. And uh, You I know exactly what it is. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't act like no, you don't no, know no, exactly no, what yeah, it is. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Steph and uh, Sam are like are heavily recruiting me to like help it out PR-wise, which I don't really think it needs. It's like kind of a viral it thing. It seems to, to be me. blowing up, yeah. yeah. Can yeah. you explain what the premise behind Sir Gifts a yeah. lot? Yeah, uh, so Sir Gifts, Gifts a lot. I still can't tell if it's gifts a lot or gifts a bot because I think both of them work. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, so it takes over your webcam. Um, you can create a small GIF from the video that you record, and uh, it kind of like holds it in a server for a certain amount of time. Um, and you can send it through Slack to your company, uh, to your like coworkers. Um, and it's just such a funny. Like, I don't know what it is about looping images yeah. it's just, or, or videos. It's just so addictive and hilarious. Anyone who is not a millennial's head is exploding listening yeah. to this right now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, right. Sir Gifsabot goes into Slack, takes over your webcam. Yeah, I'm not sure how like, far back I need to go yeah. to in this explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there are these things called computers. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you plug them in. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we've used it quite a bit at uh, at RJ, um, and it's way more addictive than calling like the Giphy bot or something because mm-hmm. uh, you can really make it uh, extremely personal the situation. So. Yeah, yeah. There's always like that GIF that you can't really find, mm-hmm. and you can like create a custom like emoji or something like that. But like the best way to do it is literally acting it out and yeah. having it loop forever. This is awesome. Uh, and this is so. This got built in a hackathon, mm-hmm. and then we decided as a company. Uh, that it's awesome so we're gonna just put it out there uh, and it got released what yesterday afternoon yesterday maybe? and there's so I pitched it to Mashable and I was like there's already 75 companies like yeah. using this you've got to cover this and I so I told Steph that um, that I, I, I sent that pitch and she was like oh it's 110 since the last time wow. you like asked about it That's which was amazing. only hours ago yeah yeah uh, so that is so cool yeah it's pretty um, amazing it is uh, it's blown up I saw it I got an email from Product Hunt Telling yeah. me that my friends on Product Hunt were upvoting it. Um, so that's uh, awesome. 
Uh, even if it had not come out of RJ, uh, I probably would have stumbled upon it today. It's That's the best way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, they, they also have, like, GA hooked up to uh, Google Analytics hooked up to it, so they can see, like, where around the globe it's being used. Oh, and they're wow. just like, oh, there's people in Sweden using it right now. It's really cool. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to look at all the data on that. That's going to be a blast. Well, uh, and that's another thing. So I'm going to help them write a guest post about the data and, like, also the benefits of hackathons and, like, promoting creativity oh, yeah. and all this stuff, like, um, but it'll be essentially, like, this is the adoption, um, what this kind of means. We've been, like, talking about a lot of different things, but how it kind of, like, follows the same business model as Slack. Like, mm-hmm. one person in your company uses that bot, and then yeah. everyone has to use it. So it, it kind of, like, is viral in the same way as Slack would be for a company. Yeah, it's totally. It's, yeah. like, the, it's the shadow IT thing, right? Yeah, it's like right, a, exactly. The, the citizen uh, participant yeah. of your community is able to inject it into the workflow. And that's what's crazy is, so there's one other company uh, that has been spun out of RJ as a result of a hackathon project, which is Props, um, which is what... Really? Uh, yeah, so Props... RJ is like the the grandfather of props, basically. Props was <laughs> cool. built in a hackathon. We spun it out into a separate company, and um, Adam and Justin, who run it, um, are, are kind of responsible for it now. But, you know, they started out not built on top of Slack, uh, and they built a Slack integration, and usage took off at RJ, uh, and now they've gotten installed at a whole bunch of other companies, and they're demoing some big Fortune 500s right now whose names wow. I can't mention, but uh, <laughs> who they're super excited about. Um so it's nuts how these when you do that guest post you should talk about props too because yeah, it's just I didn't like even think about it. Um, uh, the ability for people that are in an office environment who are feeling needs day to day, whether it's for entertainment purposes or culture purposes or whatever else, like great products come out of that stuff. Yeah, um, it's really neat. Um, cool. So uh, we we got off on a, a, a gift related tangent there <laughs> on your typical day at work. Um, yeah, I mean, did you, uh, so you took this job nine months ago. It sounds like you've gone through several phases, uh, you know, working in PR-related stuff, working in webinars and kind of thought leadership content-related stuff. What what was the job you signed up for? And is it still the same job? And, like, how do you feel about the progression of your role? That's a really good question. Um, man, I it's so, it's, like, hard for me to think back that far, even though it's only nine months, like, yeah. to what I thought the job was going to be or what, like, I kind of understood my day-to-day to be mm-hmm. um I, I don't even know i mean there's so much different it's so um like reactionary mm-hmm. just kind of like to what we need at the time or what like kind of our goals how our goals change which i think that they've been changing like a lot mm-hmm. and for the better yeah um so for a while we were like concentrating more on um like me trying to write these like in-depth technical posts about uh, like data infrastructure and like build the like um, kind of like the headaches of building your own data stack and this and that and then I kind of was like man I I'm not at that point yet that yeah. I'd like understand this and so then for a while uh, I would be able to like talk to people on the team that did understand it mm-hmm. and we would kind of work together on a post which was actually awesome yeah. I mean we uh, Drew wrote a post about snowplow. Yeah. And uh, using content engagement metrics, and uh, Snowplow just picked it up, like and run ran it, and like like for Drew it was great because like he was just super psyched about being on Snowplow yeah. and just thought it was, and I was really excited. Like I just thought it was just such a good like collaboration content marketing uh, project. But I think that mostly what I'm trying to say is like I it's just changed so much all the time, mm-hmm. and it's cool. It's great because I don't. I like doing different stuff all the time, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
where do you think it goes next? Like, what are you not doing yet that you're hoping you're doing in a couple months? Uh, like, strictly promotion for Sir Gifts-a-Lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The total, the Sir Gifts-a-Lot uh, P&L is going to be weighed down with your, your marketing salary. Right, yeah. <laughs> can't wait. I can't wait. Me too. I'm, I'm excited to slim down. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we got to figure out a monetization strategy for that thing. It's, I, uh, I've been brainstorming, and I don't, I don't have. I think if you pay five bucks a month per user, then we won't all sit here at RJ and look at your <laughs> gifts all day. Yeah, <laughs> RS three yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a joke for all you out there uh, thinking that's a terms of service violation. Uh, okay, so that's your typical day at work. What's your typical day after work? Um, that's changing all the time too. I uh-huh. feel like um, I'm trying to. So I like. I really uh, like want to get to be like a part of the literature community in uh, Philadelphia, and like Go on. getting at it. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is the meat of this. <laughs> um, so there are just so many different like literary events that you can go to, and as soon as you go to like one or two of them, you meet somebody and they start inviting you to more, and then all of a sudden, like you you find yourself at like these extremely weird like poetry readings that are have like a theme around. Bomb. Like, just the weirdest stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and double click on that. So, uh, <laughs> the when you say literature events, when you're starting and, like, cracking into that community and you go to, like, the most obvious, like, here's an easy-to-find literature event, are you going to meet up and you're typing in literature? And so, also, what do you mean by literature? Like, writing yeah, or reading? Yeah, so that's kind of tough because – so, I guess I'm talking about, like, uh, like art events mostly mm-hmm. because – uh, like some of them start blending where you go to there's a thing called the sto- uh, the moth story slam and it's like extremely famous and the it's uh in um I can't remember the theater name but it's people that go up and just tell a story for five minutes yeah and uh, they're unbelievably talented so it's like it's hard it's like a, a performance art but mm-hmm. all those things all those people like to perform with one another where it's like whether you're reading off a page or like performing a piece of music like it's all kind of the same thing to them okay so it's hard to kind of differentiate between uh, like written and perform I don't know but the the th- one of the things that I actually have a crit- like a criticism I have about the Philadelphia um, community with this is there's no good way to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I knew what I was doing and I could like create a good calendar and, um, but I don't, I'm not a designer or like, <laughs> I'm so. uh, so is your intention with this stuff that you want to be doing your own performances of your work? Is it about just getting more involved in the community to meet other artists or? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, um, I just believe in it. Like, that's the one thing that I feel like I truly believe in, like, someone's ability to be able to express themselves in in this type of channel. So, Mm -hmm. like, if I don't take my time, like, when I get out of work and I don't, like, actively try to support that, it, like, makes me feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not doing the things that I feel. You feel your brain atrophying and all (laughs) that. Yeah, right, right. The very core of me is, like, crumbling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) RJmetrics.com slash jobs, people, where the the very core of you crumbles during the day. (laughs) No, that's definitely not what I meant. Um, I just um, I think that I like I like people. The people that I meet there are super interesting. Yeah. Um, just yeah, I guess just being a part of that. Like I've always, when I was in college, I was part of that, and it was like mm-hmm. so exciting to me. And I I feel like it's easy to not be a part of it. Yeah. So I need to like actively be a part of it all the time. Is the um, sorry if this is me asking the same question twice no, or being obtuse, but like. 
What is the that? Oh, um, so I I think I would mostly be saying poetry readings. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like I'm certainly up for seeing for like participating in anything, but it's also like it just kind of branches off into like you get you uh, like join writer circles or something like that, and yeah. that like. Um, you make sure like you find someone who like also doesn't write and feels crappy about it and then you bug each other to write and then you go to a uh you know like a group of people who criticize you um in a good way Mm -hmm. not like in a bad way and you can uh like start to get people to hound you to do the things that you want to do all the time yeah i don't know uh no i i totally totally get that um and there's I, i feel like in in startup land, there's kind of a little bit of that, like the the when you go to co-working spaces or mm-hmm. when you are involved in some of these incubators, it's like there's a, a little bit of peer pressure, like you see all of your peers working and making progress and that drives you and then you get opportunities to have roundtable discussions and all right. that help each other out. Um, I feel like there's got to be something like that. With in, I mean, there's definitely got to be something like that in comedy, right? Like for the improv kind of community definitely yeah there yeah. are I, so it comes up a lot in sketch uh definitely where people kind of have writing workshops and i bet i bet it's very very analogous where people just uh will either formally on a regular recurring basis or informally through like a facebook group be like look i'm gonna be jamming out at saxby's for the next three hours nice. anybody wants to come and make sure i'm not sitting on facebook the whole time yeah uh, i think that that's a that's a pretty common request uh that I'll see on like the the you know comedy various comedy Facebook groups that I'm in. Uh-huh. Um, it's so weird yeah. how much o- overlap is. I bet it's a lot of the same people. Yeah. I was going to say that. I bet that there are people that are on improv teams that I've I've seen or performed with that are participating in these, particularly the story slams. I yes. think that it's it's like a really high overlap. Yeah, and it's weird because like people have this idea of like what yeah. poetry is and how like they think it's like some somber uh, like like bongos uh yeah. beret and like there there's no humor involved in it but when you meet those those two people like there's some characteristics that are just they like each other and yeah. so like when i was in college those were the two different groups that i got to like be a part mm-hmm. a part of i never did anything with comedy but i loved everyone who was part of that scene so yeah. like it was i don't know why that those two groups like kind of mesh well yeah it's something about uh wanting to be in front of people but also be super self-deprecating at the (laughs) same time it's like hating yourself and loving yourself simultaneously (laughs) right yeah uh, yeah. drives people up to to the mic um so uh you uh i will imply from this line of conversation write poetry i i ideally (laughs) like i can't like um honestly tell you that I do because I just haven't written in so long and it, yeah. I, I have like a little uh, like reminder that goes off my phone every every night at 7 o'clock uh-huh. that I complete that says write and I never do it's like <laughs> it's it's own sad poem Glad um, <laughs> um, but I yeah I don't write nearly enough but I would I would love to are there other uh, various media that you are creative through outside of work like do you write non poetically do you write music do you like how do you scratch that creative itch uh, that so all of this is like ideally in my mind where I'm like you know what I'm gonna start writing about music or something like that. <laughs> I never do it <laughs> um, I would I would love to and of course like it's Friday now yeah. and I've already like Today, I've already made that little promise to myself. You know, Saturday and Sunday, it's going to be... I'm going to write that album review of uh, yeah. ACDCs. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Which you've been saying you'd write since it came out in yeah, 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. 
so then, um, was there a time in your life when you feel like you were writing? You were a lot more prolific. Uh, like, what was kind of the peak of your kind of creative writing phase? So this ties in perfectly with the thing you were saying uh, we were talking about before. When I was part of that, like, a literary community in when I was at school in Delaware, mm-hmm. everyone was doing it. So, like, sometimes you'd be trying to do something and someone would be like, oh, I'm, I'm busy writing. And then you'd be like, oh, I should Right too. <laughs> so that same, like, I'm trying to get into these communities so that that situation happens a bunch gotcha. where people like can't hang out because they're writing. I'm like, wow, I'm a jerk for not writing right now. Um, so yeah, when I was in college, like you'd kind of like always set a, aside a time to be writing, mm-hmm. and you didn't think anything of it. It wasn't like a chore or anything like that. And yeah. when it gets to be a chore, it just kind of sucks. Like it, all the great parts about it are just sucked out of it so when it's when it becomes like a lot of writers including david williams the most famous writer um he uh, i still have his it's always sunny and his other place sitting on my <laughs> drop by i haven't i haven't read him yet and it's i really feel so funny. terrible about it uh i'm looking forward maybe this weekend I'll yeah oh there you go saturday and sunday there yeah. it is um but um uh yeah they have like there's a very specific way you can like foster creativity mm-hmm. and it's much more regimented than you'd think. Like oh. people are always talking about how if you wait for um, like whatever it is to strike you, it's never going to happen. Like yeah. you're never going to be ready for it. So people have these crazy ways of writing every day. I can't, I can't remember which writer, but she'd have her wife drive her out to the country and look at cows in like this specific way every day while she wrote. It was really weird. But that was like the only way she could do it. The old cow in the country trick. <laughs> yeah, we've all Invented been Invented by uh, Charles Dickens. Um, yeah, I read Stephen King's uh, autobiography and he has just an insane writing style. That's very, yeah. It's very stream of consciousness. It's very... He does not know what is going to happen at the end of his book yeah. very deliberately, and it forces like he just sits there and uh, if it's the '80s, first he does a bunch of coke. Yeah, uh, exactly. If it's now, he does not, uh, and he just like just writes words on the page uh, and he, lets the characters. He's almost like he embodies the characters and lets them write the story. Like yes. things just happen in his brain and they make it on the page. I love that book. I yeah. always advocate for that book, but that that's. He looks at it so methodically like a job. It's like, I'm going to get 50 pages under my belt today. And then he already knows that 10 of those pages are going to get edited. Like, he already knows what's going to happen and how to finish a book so well. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when he talks about books like talking about misery when he was like, man, I I couldn't believe that I couldn't figure out that misery was cocaine. It was like the thing that was keeping me in my room and forcing me to write wow, like it was yeah. so um it's such like a simple metaphor when he looks back on it mm-hmm. or the shining when he was like having trouble with his like being a father and a, a, a husband and then he writes a book about some guy who goes to like yeah. a hotel and writes and goes crazy mm-hmm. and like you know <laughs> it's a lot of uh uh he he is his own therapist uh, <laughs> yeah exactly wow uh yeah i i enjoyed that book a ton um i uh Want to dig in a little more on uh, kind of your your personal life? So typical day after work sounds like you're going to these literary things a decent amount. Uh, what's like if you get a Saturday completely to yourself? You've hit the okay on the on the right button, and it's not going to happen on that day. Like, how does that day end up actually getting spent? Um, I love crossword puzzles. Oh no! Shit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> really? I, uh, do we? Is this a uh, parental advisory? I don't think I've said. Shit. 
on this podcast I made before. sure I was going to wait till you said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that may or may not be bleeped out later. Uh, yeah, I do the New York Times crossword puzzle with my wife uh, every night in bed. Uh, it Me is, too. Uh, yeah, it's the uh, it's it's the way to be. Did and you do it puts yesterday's? you to sleep hard. Yes. Uh, usually, will it'll take us like I'm so dead at night. We get like 20 minutes in, so we'll do Sundays over the course of like Monday through Wednesday, yeah, and then yeah. we'll pick up and do like Thursdays and Fridays, and then hop to Sundays again. I'm. I'm getting deep into crosswords. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, uh, I'm like uh, after Wednesday, it's a, it's just a str- struggle to just get it finished. But yeah. on Monday, I'm trying to get under ten minutes. Yeah, I believe, I, I believe that. I like that goal. I when I'm flying, I always find also that like collaboratively with my wife, I'm able to just crush them. Yeah. Uh, eventually, at, like they will get done. Like it, there is not a crossword puzzle that will not get done. If I am looking at one completely by myself and I get stuck. Uh, it can sometimes happen super early on and there's just nowhere to go. Yeah. And it's like having that one other person to just crack I just something. cheat, though. I, oh, have, yeah. <laughs> I have the app. And oh. I just, like, if I get to a point where I know I'm not going to finish it, yeah. I just start cheating, which is checking the puzzle to see if there's just a button. And so when there's incorrect letters, they appear as red. Oh. So, so do, you, do you complete them all? So I, like, print them out. Uh, that's and do the them best on a, way to do it. On a clipboard. Uh, really? Like a pencil, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just do it on my school. phone. Or on, like, yeah, on my phone. And Emily and I, uh, my girlfriend, just, like, pass it back and forth oh, nice. until it's all done. Um, but, yeah, there's something, like, addictive yeah. about, like, completing those crosswords. It's also, I tried to, so for uh, for Allie's birthday this year, I made a crossword that, like, all the clues wow. were related to... You know, things that we've done together, places that we've traveled, or people that we know. Um, it is hard. <laughs> I was just going to ask, how long does that take? Because so I've always I, thought about that. There's a, there's a, there's like an app or a website that you can use that will at least allow you to lay out the grid. And if you write in advance, say, 30 clues, you can hit go, and it will build a ah. semi-optimized version of the grid. But the thing is, it doesn't just work like that because the words you choose are not going to form these perfect squares where you've got these like four yeah. by four and five by five grids of all things that make sense. So what you end up with is you've got your your 30 or so clues that are your awesome right on the nose that's related <laughs> and it builds the grid and then you got to kind of fill in the holes you know, like, oh, what is uh, JXLP4? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like, first of all, how do I get a number in there? <laughs> so you just have to figure out, you almost, you end up stuck with certain sequences of letters and you just need to make up a clue that makes sense yeah. and you can see it really going through that process made me appreciate the art of like the particularly like the Friday New York Times crosswords where they're not always extremely hard but the clues are so extremely long yeah. like the the all of the words are 10 or 12 letters long and then it just so happens that they stack on top of each other to form 10 or 12 separate vertical things that actually make sense like that is uh that is an art form uh, in its own right. Will Shorts. Man. Will he Shorts, is, man. <laughs> he knows what's up. Um, I did a crossword where they didn't have the black squares filled in. Yeah. And that's oh. crazy. So they, you just need to know that the word is done? You need to understand one of the clues absolutely. Yeah. Like no, there is not a shadow of a doubt that that is correct. You fill that in and you know that there is a black square after that word you look to the corresponding quadrant of that crossword and fill it in because it's a, a mirror. What? It, oh, okay. Yeah. So the black squares mirror each other yes. along like the, the diagonal? Along. Or one of the axes? Along. 
they, they flip horizontally and then vertically, I think. Oh, okay, so it's four quadrants that are all mirrors of each other, kind of. Uh, now I'm kind of second-guessing myself. Whatever it is, you need to pick up. <laughs> That's how you Somebody it downloaded out. this podcast hoping it was about data <laughs> analytics. Yeah. There's something about data there. I'm not sure what it is, but it was like, I was like giddy with how cool that this is, like puzzle was. That is intense. Yeah. Um, man, uh, that is super cool. Well, uh, now now I know what to talk to you about at the old, uh, at the old coffee machine. Yeah, yeah. Last night's crossword. Um, cool. So uh, that's great. Uh, I was checking out your RJ uh, About Us page bio. Um, a couple of references in there got dropped. I wanted to follow up on. Uh, sounds like you have a pit bull. I do. Yeah. yeah. Tell me I, about that pit bull. I have a pit bull named Yachty. Uh, How and do you spell that? Y-A-D-I. Yachty. Yeah. Uh, for There's a cardinal... St. Louis Cardinal catcher called Yachty or Molina. Oh, and nice. it's, yeah. Uh, Are you from St. Louis? No, my dad went to school in St. Louis, though. Uh, watch you? Uh, yeah. And he, like, started watching Cardinals games, and it was right when they won the World Series, and he just has never looked back. Like, almost in a – like, he admits that his obsession – it's like an obsession. He will watch every game, and, like, I will try to watch as many games as possible. Nice. So, um, but, yeah, that's why my dog's name is Yachty. <laughs> uh, he's a 65-pound pit bull, and, like – Oh, man, he just, like, he smells kind of bad sometimes. Yeah. Like, he's just a pit bull. Um, I'm uh, actually, uh, interestingly, I'm getting a, after, uh, at 7 o'clock tonight, I'm going to a consultation with a tattoo artist to get a tattoo of him in a spacesuit holding a space helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other tattoos? This is your first yeah, tattoo? Yeah, I, I have, a, a like, a bird on my back here where's but, uh where's yachty in space gonna go I mean, he's gonna go on my uh, <laughs> on my side uh do you uh is he is the tattoo artist gonna sketch it tonight or do you have like a sketch already? i have a sketch but i want her to like the sketch makes him look really scared and i don't know if i want him to uh, think yeah. that like space is scary mm-hmm. in, yeah i feel like body. yachty would uh <laughs> he'd be would be in his space yeah He'd be psyched, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really scared of space, so I don't. I don't know. Should it reflect like my ideal of what I want to be, or I'm not sure. There's something. There's a Stephen King callback there uh, somehow. Your, your tattoos are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. All right. How how old is Yachty? Th- hmm. uh, a little over three. Uh-huh. So he's still like a puppy. I mean, not he's not really a puppy, but he has like behavioral issues. Yeah. Like he. Um, you know, we like rescued him, of course, like every pit bull, like mm-hmm. uh, off the street of uh, of Jersey City, and like you just don't know. We got him. And every pit bull comes from the streets of Jersey. It City? It just seems like people don't like. If you're going to get a pit bull, you should definitely rescue one because yeah. their shelters are just full of pit bulls. Uh, so yeah. you have to like. There's such a breed bias against them. People just hate pit bulls. So uh, if you're going to get a pit bull. I would, if you're listening to this and you're going to get a pit bull, please rescue them. Please rescue yeah. a pit bull. Um, so he, you know, you get this dog and first of all, the the shelter will tell you anything mm-hmm. to get you to adopt the dog. So we... You're really selling this whole... I know, I know. I'm sorry. I just have to be honest too. <laughs> um, and so they told us that he was, you know, he has some slight kennel cough and he's just a really mellow dude mm-hmm. and we get home and they're like oh he's he's about to die like he has like five different things trying oh, to kill no. him so emily my girlfriend pretty much just saves him mm-hmm. like then he goes crazy with like health <laughs> 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 and he's like all healthy and his is like normal self so 
and he starts like pulling on the leash and like going after other dogs and eventually like there's like nipping and so it's just like a daily struggle to train this dog but it's definitely yeah. worth it i mean i, I love him so. nice do you uh so 65 pound pit bull what's your living situation like do you have like <laughs> outdoor space at all or uh we have a small outdoor space and he won't go to the bathroom there oh. perfectly <laughs> so uh i wake up and i like at four o'clock in the morning sometimes and oh, take man. him out in the cold and just for him to like freak out on another dog yeah <laughs> yeah um it's a, a labor of love but uh yeah he we we just try to get him as much exercise as possible and like finding other dogs that would want to play with him mm-hmm. like i don't know it's it's a constant struggle keeping a dog entertained because they you know it's kind of crappy for them they just like sit at home all day and a dog needs to be mentally um kind of exercised in sure. the same way that they need to be like physically exercised or else they just aren't happy mm-hmm. um which creates like behavior problems but it's just a, a struggle to figure yeah. out how to do that all the time how do you deal with so i have been wanting a dog for more than a Get year and uh yeah i may have to make a trip to jersey <laughs> city this weekend uh how do you deal with like getting the dog walk during the day? Do you take off and head home and, and walk him? Does Emily have an opportunity to walk him? Well, ideally, when we got this dog, we were like, we're going to get a dog walker. We're going to get a, um, uh, like, what, what is it called? Daycare. And he got yeah. kicked out of like three daycares, oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> and he ate a dog walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did. He had a dog's head in his mouth. So, <laughs> oh, no. uh, and the guy was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, so Emily goes to school is finishing her undergrad at Delaware. Okay. So, but she works from home. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, she's not home. And in that time, like I leave the house at like 7.30 and he doesn't get walked till she gets back home at like four, mm-hmm. which is actually like a pretty normal like yeah. time of span. But the other days that are not Tuesdays and Thursdays, like she'll walk him during the day. Right. So he gets the walk, but dog walkers are cheap. You know, I'm not cheap, like relatively cheap. Yeah. They'll give you like a, like a 30 minute walk for like 20 bucks or something like that and they'll play with him and mm-hmm. I don't know. There's yeah. like definitely options um, and you can take him to daycare if you want. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm getting I'm getting my, my dog confidence up. Yeah? It's, uh, what's, his, what's the dog's name going to be? Uh, we are, our number one candidate is Hoagie. Nice. Uh, so we, we used to work with a guy named Hoagie <laughs> yeah, yeah. here which is like totally no, no, no relation whatsoever. <laughs> um, uh, I, although I, I, I love the hoagie who used to work here, and I and I love the image of this dog called Hoagie. But we like, I, uh, Ali and I are both. Uh, we just love food and we love Philly. Yeah. Uh, and Hoagie is just like this perfect. Um, it's like a little fat dog that uh, <laughs> loves everybody and everything. So and, this dog has uh, to be fat. It's got to be an overweight dog. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be not like, uh, you know, unhealthily overweight, but a little a little plump. Yeah, you just know. like um, like charmingly overweight. Yeah, just yeah. a little, uh, you know, make you feel good about yourself overweight. <laughs> kind yeah, of, yeah. Kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, and it's just like there's something about a, a two-syllable dog name ending in yep. E that... Uh, Yadi. Ah, Yadi, there yep, it is. There, 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 there it is. Uh, QED. Uh, moving on. <laughs> um, I, so... Uh, I know your old bosses pretty well. Uh, let's talk Je- about that. Yeah, um, Jeff and Nick. Yeah, so you um, and uh, Trog. You went to uh, Udell undergrad. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up in New York? <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. Am I actually getting the chronology right? You graduated. Was Grovo your first job yeah. after you graduated? Well, uh, my first job was Panera Bread. All right, let's go. Let's let's go to Panera Bread. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. get to Grovo in a second. Talk okay. to me about Panera. So I graduated college, and I'm like another St. Louis company, by the way. 
Really? They. Uh, it was originally called the St. Louis Bread Company. Oh yeah, uh, I learned about this in my initiation yes. or whatever it's called. Like when you go to St. Louis. Uh, and my so Allie's uh, family's from St. Louis, so oh, cool. I had never been out there before I met her, and I, I've gone out several times since. But when I went out, there are all these places that say St. Louis Bread Company, and it looks just like Panera Bread. It's all of the same stuff. Huh. And after a while, I was like, "What's up with all these knockoff, crappy <laughs> Panera breads around here?" And uh, it's like, "No, that's the original." When they went into other cities, people don't necessarily associate St. Louis with like yeah. high quality bread products, uh, so. They, Panera doesn't mean anything. Panera is just a word that they made up that sounded like it might it. be. Yeah, yeah, it has pan in it and is like, you know, sounds kind of European. Uh, it's like the result of so much, uh, like some yeah half a million dollar focus group right, uh, yeah, exactly. process they went through. Um, uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, lots of lots of St. Louis references happening here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yes, so you graduated from Delaware. What did you major in? I majored in English, so I knew I was going to have like a top-notch job when I got out. <laughs> so. so yeah, which uh, which quick serve restaurants did you apply to? <laughs> upon well, I was I was like, man, I really you know an English degree is not enough. I'm going to have to rely on my. Uh, other deli experience. <laughs> so uh, I had, I worked at like a deli for like six years before that. I'm like, I'm definitely getting this job. Like, yeah. here I come, world. Uh, let's do this Panera Bread. And so I get there and um, yeah, I mean, I, I was so miserable. And my friend uh, PJ was, he called me and he's like, hey, I'm working for this company um, and we're like really small and you could be an intern and I won't pay you anything. Um, do you want to do it? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I just, I moved out of, I quit my job at Panera Bread and I moved out to um, New York and just like slept on my aunt's couch or I it was like a plow couch. It was like a bed. I don't want to, yeah. it's not like the typical uh, startup, like sleeping on couches, yeah. but it was a bed. Um, but I, I um, lived with her for a while. I worked at Grovo. Um, Emily eventually came to move from Delaware into my aunt's house. Nice. And we stayed in a room. That is an accommodating aunt. Yeah, she's the best. She's amazing. Um, and it was like 14th and or 12th between 7th and 8th. Like just a beautiful oh my Chelsea, God. like yeah. um, just a gorgeous neighborhood and I could walk to work. Mm-hmm. Then we moved out and moved into my parents' house. I'm still like this is like a year of not getting paid too. Like, <laughs> um, then we moved. Are your, are your parents in New York too? My parents are in like 40 minutes outside of New York. Okay. In a town called Maplewood, uh, which is like by Newark. And the thing about mm-hmm. Maplewood that it, why it's so like popular amongst uh, like they call it the New Brooklyn now because it's on the train line, so mm-hmm. it's almost easier to get into New Manhattan from Maplewood than it is from like definitely from like places in Brooklyn like Red Hook or uh, something yeah. like that like there's parts of Brooklyn that'll take you like an hour to get into mid, mm-hmm. like Midtown Manhattan and from Maplewood it's a 40 minute train oh wow yeah. so we moved there I started commuting and then we moved like to different towns like neighboring towns that are all pretty much the same there's like Maplewood South Orange Milburn and they're all the, pretty much the same and like mm-hmm. different houses and working um, after a year I started to get I mean I got I got a stipend I'm if Jeff's listening to this, you're, you're, you're wonderfully generous, and I love you very much. Uh, I'm not saying anything. I, I also didn't deserve anything. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so uh, then I kept working for Grovo and living in New York, or rather New Jersey. Um, and then pretty much Emily, uh, her dad got a job at the University of Delaware, mm-hmm. and she had never finished her undergrad. And she was like, I got to 
go do this while it's free. Like it when oh, she, while you can get free yeah, tuition yeah. for your kids. Yeah. Exactly. So she's going there for free right now, and we're like, all right, we got to do this because if as soon as you get twenty six, you can't do it anymore. Oh, nice. So she needs to like get that degree as yeah. fast as possible. <laughs> um, so we moved down to Philly, and then I found the loving arms of RJ <laughs> Matrix. Uh, that is a great story. Did, oh, yeah. uh, so um, Grovo as a company is, is just kicking ass right now. Yeah. Um, and I know, uh, so we have an investor in common with them. So I was fortunate enough to meet uh, the founders there um, many years back. I think when both RJ and Grovo were still trying to like figure out who they wanted to be when mm-hmm. they grew up. Um, and I think it's been so inspiring to watch them like find the find the product market fit that was perfect for the company and kind of grow into that. How much of that did you get to see? Like, what was the state of the company when you joined? And then what what was it like by the time you left? So the biggest change, there are so many. I mean, obviously, I, I started, I, I can't even imagine. I bet I would be like 20 employees there. Yeah. And now there are 215 or something like that. Yeah. And the biggest change was when I got there, it was a B2C and B2B company, mm-hmm. mostly B2C. Like we would get an email and ring a bell when someone paid us, like anyone paid us. Yeah. And like everyone would know about it yeah. and we'd like cheer. Um, and it was like a little ding bell that yeah. like for like an a hop service. <laughs> um, so like we would be like, this guy's paying us a hundred bucks and everyone would like <laughs> clap and we'd put him on the map. <laughs> and then we realized like, Oh man, I don't think we can like make it with a hundred bucks at a time from these people who are trying to learn like LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was the business model at that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. A- so um, it was you'd it's a su- subscription. It's a SaaS company. So um, you'd get a subscription. You'd uh, we separated. We we make uh, or Grovo makes uh, tutorial videos on how to use internet products. Mm-hmm. So half of the videos were free. You could just watch them. But the more advanced uh, concepts were premium so you'd have to pay nine bucks a month um, to access those premium features so if you wanted to learn about um, like a more uh, like Salesforce kind of maybe you'd have to pay Mm -hmm. Um, but what we found out was that like company it's much easier to sell the companies because they want their employees to learn Mm -hmm. all like they they could um, assign their employees certain lessons and know that they took the quizzes and are proficient uh, in these certain skills. Yeah. So that it, that's like the next step of them like I want everyone in my organization to know how to use Gmail. Like okay, so just buy our product and then give them these lessons and then you'll know that they know these concepts. But then it starts to evolve more to like HR aspects and like and soft companies, skills. At this point, can companies like make their own videos? Is that part of the uh... no? Oh, so it's all it's all about like generic enough content that it's applicable to multiple companies. Yes. So Grovo produces that content from mm-hmm. scratch, and then is selling subscriptions to it plus monitoring to yes. these companies. So we would like also like the the selling point was like if if Facebook changes tomorrow, mm-hmm. we'll have like because. These these products change constantly. So when you think you know how to use Gmail in like two months, you don't know how to use Gmail. I see. So we would make we made like a promise that if these products change, we will change our entire library to update these videos. And we would, we would like we made sure that we were as quick as possible, hmm. um, which was its own kind of like selling point. Yeah. But I don't think it was like enough of a pull, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but those like soft scale training, like leadership and things like that. 
or like email etiquette certain that's just like an easier sell to a company when they want to their uh employees to know about these like concepts mm-hmm. um so like we started going into much more soft skills and huh. yeah um which is interesting because like it's one thing to like teach someone how to update their profile picture on LinkedIn. It's another thing to like teach them how to be a mentor in a lesson. Like, yeah. Uh, so did the company end up hiring like subject matter experts in those areas? Like it's kind of objective. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, uh, Dan just pointed to himself. Um, <laughs> so Mr. Manners. Um, yeah. It's like there. You. It is very objective how to change your LinkedIn profile how to uh, be someone who is generally well-liked in the office <laughs> yeah, yeah. environment and not creating uh, you know, political uh, undertones right. in their conversations. That requires a little more nuance. Uh, yeah, was that just like enough, there are enough smart people around the table that it's common sense enough that you're able to put content together and that's where the content source from? Yeah, it's mo- I think it's more than common sense. Like you have to like, you you'd have these like rigorous editing sessions where you're like, all right, what's the data to back this up? Uh Like, okay, you say that it, to be a good manager, you need to check in on an employee. Like what, where did you find that? So you like, it's even like, we would look at like Dale Carnegie, like how to win, what is it? How How to win win friends friends and influence influence people. people. Yeah. Yeah. So like even things like that, you'd like reference a chap, like a a chapter of that book could be a lesson. I see. Um, it's, It's interesting though, because it is subjective. So you have to take a little bit of power into your hands being like, I know that we can't really say that this is how you do it, but mm-hmm. like we've researched it a lot and this is what the smartest people say about that. This is how to do it. Yeah. Uh, very, very cool. Um, I, I love hearing about businesses like that, uh, <laughs> that like it's, it makes a ton of sense. The market makes, uh, you know, it, it all kinds of adds up and there are so many people out there that might potentially buy it. And it's a company that pretty much couldn't have existed 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's like all that combines. Cool. So what, what did you do for them? Uh, I wrote lessons. Mm-hmm. I wrote these like tutorials and I also edited the video together. Ah, cool. Um, and then eventually I kind of moved into like looking at like process improvements i was a scrum master so wow yeah yeah, that's legit yeah uh scrum is like an ideology kind of about how teams should work and Uh like like accomplishing small tasks and being able to accurately predict what you can accomplish within a given time period Mm -hmm. and like there's like burn down there's just like this whole mystique around scrum and how people think that it needs to be done so i was the scrum master for our production team our video production team making sure we like had enough output. Is that something, did you like go get certified or something or uh, what, how, how dare you call yourself a master? <laughs> well, I was going to, uh, I was going to get certified and then I, I was like, uh, I'm going to get moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> so, um, I read, so my boss, Tom was just like, we're going to go do scrum. We're going to like all out do scrum. I want you to learn about it. So there's a book by Jeff Sutherland uh, who I, I want to say that he, like was the person to bring scrum into the uh kind of like the the popular world Mm -hmm. i don't think that he actually invented it but he wrote a book called i think it's called scrum Uh and i just read that (laughs) that was it it must have been one of the first books about scrum (laughs) if it is the book called scrum yeah uh Scrum too. Uh, yeah. Have you been able to like apply any of that knowledge here do you feel like anything we do kind of conforms to to that it's weird because when i came here i was like constantly on the lookout for ways to because all i wanted to do was like be valuable <laughs> so i was like uh it's like oh, there has to be a way for me to like 
figure out what I know about this type of process and like apply it to what's going on in our marketing organization. Mm-hmm. And like the long short of it is like not really. It doesn't. It didn't map per- particularly well to like what we were doing. Yeah. Um, in the way that Scrum needs to be kind of uh, repetitive tasks. Mm-hmm. I, oh, so I also met with an expert on Scrum. I, I, I didn't just read a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so, met a guy. Yeah, I know a guy. I got a Scrum guy. Um, and so when you have like a lot of varying components, it's hard to like justify Scrum. Mm-hmm. So when you were doing uh, like a benchmark that's kind of over a two-month span and then we're also doing a one-off guest post, like the, the, the timeline doesn't really work. You can't start breaking it up to make sure that Everything falls with it, like these accomplishments need to fall within a two-week span. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so it makes things hard to measure, and then the value kind of gets lost. Like mm-hmm. it, then it, it becomes applying Scrum just because it's like a cool thing to do, or that you think that it's making you more. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I know that our engineering team takes advantage of some of the aspects of Scrum, although I don't think that we're strict. It's kind of there are there are these overlapping but not necessarily completely identical mm-hmm. methodologies around agile programming and like sprint based uh, yes. systems, and I think a lot of that falls into the Scrum methodologies. And I know that our certain engineering teams uh, in our squad use that stuff more heavily than others. Uh, it might be interesting to next There's, lunch conversation you have uh, you can spread some knowledge down there. People just think that I know about Scrum. Like I don't really know about Scrum. I know, like, kind of <laughs> you just call like. yourself a Scrum master yeah. man. I, I, there's nothing else to call me. Like, <laughs> I, if, I, if there was like a Scrum junior I could be that. Um, but there, and then there's also like Kanban or Kanban. Yeah Kanban yeah. Uh, and Trello is like completely inspired by Kanban yes, right? Yes exactly. So it's like a the the theory that you can only kind of take you separate things into columns and you can Mm -hmm. move tasks between the columns and it's a theory that one each column can only have a certain amount of tasks in it Mm -hmm. so a column could be like let's say an engineer Mm -hmm. like his time and Uh. or their their time and you can't you if you want to bring something else into their work um, workflow, you need to move something else out. So mm-hmm. you, it's a method of getting things from point A to point B really quickly by moving it between columns. Neat. Yeah. Um, awesome. I uh, Time is flying by here. I have a battery of questions that I like to ask everybody on this okay. podcast. Uh, so let me, let me dive into those. Um, think back to your college experience and all the courses that you took. If you could retake any one course that you took in college, what would it be? Uh, there was a poetry class that I, I took that like I met so many of my friends in mm-hmm. uh, that like I still talk to. It's like the people that I talk I maintain uh, communication with most and like all of them are super smart. And our teacher, there is a uh, it's this woman Jeannie Marie Walker and she's just mm-hmm. this genius poet and I I think it also was kind of like the time that I was like most like creatively awakening, and, like, yeah. so. Uh, but that's the that's definitely the class. Either what was the name of the class? Um, it might have been like English three hundred one poetry writing or something like nice. that. Yeah. yeah, like something very super generic. It wasn't like anything in particular. Um, it was a workshop, mm-hmm. so everyone would come in with their poems, and then you would. Oh, wow. uh, so pretty small group. Really small group. Yeah. But in a really structured method, mm-hmm. like. You'd come in with a poem, you'd read it, someone else would read your poem, then everyone else would talk about it, and you can't say anything. And neither can oh. the teacher. And it's really cool. particular about yeah. how it should work. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's funny, I was talking to Anna about how criticism happens with yeah. those types of things. And there's something called the criticism sandwich, where you have to praise someone's work, slip in the criticism, and then praise them on the other end of it <laughs> so that they still feel okay. But that's how, like, all of it yeah. needs to happen. There's a um, uh, there's a family guy cutaway scene where, oh, like, gosh. Stewie starts a company out of his bedroom and he's reviewing Brian, who's his employee, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I'm gonna give you what I like to call the compliment sandwich. Uh, <laughs> oh, compliment yeah, sandwich! And he's like, he's like, yeah, you did really good in those quarterly reports, and uh, you smell like dog poo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next quarter. Um, yeah, it totally. Uh, I catch myself sometimes. I've actually tried to veer away from doing that too much because uh, it's almost like it's like a trope at this point from yeah. a management standpoint. But I, it's, uh, I mean, it works. Uh, right. There's a lot. It, it sure makes sense on paper. Yeah, it's hard because you like see someone like opening their heart to you and yeah. you don't want to be like oh that didn't that wasn't any good i don't think that like yeah. really works that well um cool uh so who's your best friend uh my best friend is uh colin schmidt he's like i i grew up with him he like lives i could throw a baseball at his house like from my <laughs> my maplewood house um and he so he i went to school first at a college uh in boston called emerson mm -hmm. and i went there first semester and I was like, oh, man, I hate this place. So I needed to get out of there. And my best friend, Colin, was going to Delaware. And I decided to follow him there and, like, adopt all of his friends and not have to do <laughs> any of the heavy lifting myself. Yeah. Uh, and then we, like, lived together all through college. Like, he's just uh, – he's, like, more of, like, a brother to me. Awesome. What's, yeah. he, what's he doing these days? He is – so, um, interestingly, uh, Rutgers awards um, a MFA candidate uh, – fellowship once a year for poetry hmm. and the year before this my friend Andres who was part of that uh, part of that class that I was telling you about yeah. he got it and then this year Colin got it so wow. he is uh, teaching English at Rutgers New York and also going there to, to pursue his masters and uh, and eventually it'll like work out to be a poetry book awesome yeah. very cool um, tell me more about that Emerson experience uh, what uh, yeah what uh Emerson's in Boston, is that right? Yeah, it's right on the Commons, uh, which is amazing. Gotcha. Like, just right in the heart of Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I loved Boston. But I went to college. I can't blame it all on Emerson, because I just, I like, just kind of skated by in high school, and yeah. I didn't really think, like, learning was cool, and, mm -hmm. like, I was such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I got to Emerson, and I had, like, my first experience where someone was just like, you don't know how to write at all. Like, you need to start over. And I would just, like, try really hard and stay up all night and still get, like, C-minuses and, uh, like, yeah. pulling my hair out. And uh, I worked really, really hard. And I, like, I don't know. I didn't really find anyone that I was like. Or I, I had friends, but all of us didn't really like it there. So it just was hard to, like, kind of get any type of school spirit. Yeah. Like, we went to the basketball games, and we were the only people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The, in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Mac has, like, a... Uh, Emerson football like undefeated since 1896 and they have never had a team yeah. <laughs> that's amazing um, so I I transferred out and then everyone I knew transferred out oh wow yeah but in the meantime I like got the most uh, concentrated amount of learning done I've ever let I didn't I just didn't know anything about like what it was like to work that hard yeah and uh, essentially one teacher told me how to like write another one told me how to like uh, think analytic, like just run the gamut of things that you sh need to learn. Mm -hmm. And after that, like I was addicted to learning yeah. because I, th I realized how cool it was to like be interested in things. Um, and then I went to Delaware 
and out of Emerson. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think that, like, I got my ass kicked my first semester in college, um, and it was just, it was a little bit of culture shock, and it was a little bit of just the, the academic rigorousness um, yeah. on a relative basis was immense, uh, and I think it's just, like... Yeah, it kind of. I actually think of my first semester or two of college as being like completely different than the rest of my college experience, just yeah. because of because of that. It's like you have to fundamentally change the way that you think about right. uh, solving problems, let alone how to solve those problems. Yeah, there's like a moment where I'm like, I don't think I could learn anymore, and you're you have to say like you you have to keep going, and so that you realize that that has to happen like for your whole the whole rest of your life that yeah. you need to like reach that point and then keep going a little bit farther but i never thought that you should so like that yeah. that concept was completely foreign to me yeah why why break it down you got a good thing going <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah a good thing that's why that explains why my tennis game has not improved since uh, <laughs> 1998 um cool okay uh this podcast, um, you can get on it through one of two ways. Uh, you can be my buddy for the week in the RJ Metrics Buddy Program. You can also be recommended to appear on the podcast uh, by someone who has appeared on it. This is your opportunity. If you could hear anybody at RJ Metrics on the Buddy Time Podcast, who would you want to hear? Lauren. Lauren. Definitely. Right. She's right on the other side of this wall, probably. <laughs> probably really hearing mad that the I... installation's bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, why Lauren? Yeah, what should, what should I be asking Lauren? Uh... Lauren's just so funny. You should just let her talk. She's hilarious. Like any, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you should ask her about like, um, like conceptual thoughts about design and and uh, her job, but also just that she like goes and hikes all weekend and like collects skulls, and she's just like super interesting. And um, I would just, I think you're you're gonna be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the old. Collect skulls. <laughs> collect skulls. <laughs> Got it. As I jot in my notebook, yeah. collect skulls. Great. I think that came up during her interview, too. So, okay. fantastic. <laughs> um, great. Uh, what am I not asking you about that I should be? There's, There's got to be some chapter of your life that I haven't uh, I haven't worked my way into. Um, hmm. Um, in, I guess, high school, I played baseball. Uh but only for like two years because I wasn't really that good and I'm really slow. What position? Uh, pitcher. Oh, pitcher. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's um, but I'm like impressively slow like as a person. Like I can't, like I'm just bad at running. You seem to, you have like a, you're like a tall skinny guy. I feel like you should be able to, to move with some quickness. I'm like a tall skinny Jewish guy that has asthma and flat feet. So I'm like all across the board. It's like not, it means that I'm not going to be good at sports and run fast. So, um, but yeah, I really, I mean, I still love baseball and it like broke my heart kind oh, of yeah. uh, to stop playing it. And um, I still have like dreams that I'm like, I, I never stopped go, like playing baseball and I get to the field and I don't have any of my equipment. Like I have this dream constantly. It's like never really left me. Um, but I think that was probably like a pretty big part of my life until I stopped. Yeah. Do yeah. you, uh, so it sounds like you watch a lot of, you watch a lot of baseball, uh, Cardinals in particular. Do you do yeah. any fantasy sports or anything like that? Yeah, I was doing fantasy baseball, but that is just a lot of work. Yeah. Like fantasy football is one thing and you can really like go into it and, and spend all your time on it, but you need to update your roster like all the time with baseball. And then like 
there's always a time where someone who's playing against the Cardinals, I want to do well, and it like it's like tearing oh, me apart yeah. a little got a bit. Weird, weird hedging. Uh, yeah, issues yeah. Going on. It's like never bet against your own team; you'll always lose that type of thing. Yep. Um. So, I it was like too much turmoil for me. I just stopped, and I wasn't that good. So yeah, it's uh, I'm in a fantasy football league with my old uh, employer, Insight, the venture capital firm, and I. Um, have a pretty good track record there of winning, but it's almost 100% due to uh, my best friend, uh, this guy, Mike Luce, who uh, manages like seven fantasy football leagues every single year and is basically like my lead consultant <laughs> on my team every year. So I've got him, uh, you know, he's deeply involved in the draft and all of my, he's watching my roster and he's like, oh, dude, you gotta you gotta swap out this so guy. So what exactly do you do for the <laughs> What do the, I do? Yeah, yeah. I I put the money up at the beginning of the season. Okay, you're right. And right. then uh, if, if we end up winning, he receives a fee. Uh, <laughs> and if we don't, I eat all the downsides. So got it, you're an good. investor, yeah. Yeah, I'm an investor, yeah. I'm the, the VC of the VC league. We won the Super Bowl this year, Actually, I think it's a pretty good uh, the Super Bowl. The the fantasy football Super Bowl. Got it. Uh, got it. We, we came in first place in that uh, in that league. So I've never done that. There is. Uh, uh, I've I've never done it alone. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, what uh, if you are wasting time like on your phone? You pull out your phone. You have like a, a you know. Uh, your brain just magically opens up an app that's your time killer app. What is that app? I have like an unhealthy obsession with Pitbull Instagrams. I just look at, I go on Instagram and I look at Pitbull, like, photos, and I just like them and I send them to people. It's like a bad, if I knew me, I would be really pissed off that I, that I do this. But I don't know what it is. Like, I'm, if I'm, like, zoning out, I'm like, oh, man, I got to look at some Pitbulls for a little bit. <laughs> it made me feel better. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure when that started, but it's it's like a time suck a little bit. <laughs> Well, on that anticlimactic note, I want to thank uh, Dan Levine for taking some time out uh, to hang on the RJ Metrics Buddy Time Podcast. I'm Bob Moore. I will see you next time. Thanks, Bob. Thank you.